Hello SFIA audio listeners, in this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, we'll take a look at what sorts of alien behemoths might be possible under known science. To hear it and every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. When we contemplate our first meetings with alien civilizations, we tend to fear they will be hostile, hope they will be benevolent, and guess they will be a mixture of both just like our own civilizations often are. But what if it turns out they aren't so much benevolent or hostile as just really insufferable and irritating? Welcome back to Science and Futurism with Isaac Arthur for another Mid-Month Sci-Fi Sundays episode, where we examine popular notions from science fiction and ask about how realistic they are, and this month we'll be returning to our Alien Civilization series for a look at alien civilizations or strategies that are presumably meant to be profound or clever, but on inspection are stupid or annoying. This summer was also the 25th anniversary of the alien sci-fi blockbuster film Independence Day, which while an enjoyable film is full of this sort of behavior, so I thought we'd give it a bit of extra attention today. That film came out in the mid-90s and the preceding decade had been big on alien conspiracies and ancient aliens, indeed that film's director, Roland Emmerich's previous film had been Stargate, the founding film of the Stargate franchise which focuses on a lot of ancient aliens. It is also when crop circles were a big thing and folks thought this or that big circle or paddle in a field indicated a UFO had landed or called a message. My longtime reaction and sentiment to that was to wonder what sort of mindset would do that and the trickster or social malcontent came to mind. Those folks whose humor and type or execution is misaligned so they think they're very funny but mostly make the rest of us grit our teeth and try not to throttle them, people who are often nice enough but fundamentally just very annoying. That's what always came to mind for me with crop circles, I just pictured some alien trying to make a profound or humorous point without realizing how inconvenient and unnecessary the medium was. Let me go knock some corn over as opposed to just burning the signs in the ground with my overpowered anti-meteor and collision lasers. Or just transmitting as a pattern on the very active terrestrial radio stations. I mean if the objective is secrecy or subtlety, writing your name or message or ship footprint 100 meters wide in some actively tended field is a pretty darned inept method at doing that. Various science fiction satire works, most memorably The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, have played around the idea that alien sightings and monuments are genuine but left as a prank, that the flying saucers, abductions, crop circles, and so on were the work of galactic pranksters or bored alien teenagers. Fundamentally I suppose I mean annoying for this episode to be annoying to us as an audience, especially for genre-savvy sci-fi veterans who know what a redshirt is, who hand shot first, why blowing up a giant mothership, be it hanging over Earth or in orbit of Endor, is likely to cause mass extinction on the planet below, not celebrations, and who often wonder why evil galactic empires with countless planets of their control only ever seem to be able to summon armies of a few hundred who seem to be armed with weapons no deadlier than modern ones. Now of course this series, Alien Civilizations, is meant to be rather tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time we are trying to contemplate how realistic these scenarios are to fine-tune what the real scenario out in the universe is, since we have so little information on what aliens are actually like, or if they even exist. We examine a notion like being abducted and probed on an alien ship and ask how realistic it is that an alien should need to do this, 
but what we are often doing instead isn't saying if they would or could, but if they are, why they might do so. I'm generally known as an extreme skeptic on alien visitations to Earth, though principally because I don't think there's any alien civilizations in our own galaxy. Down the years I've gotten to hear from lots of folks who have had sightings or abduction experience, or been investigators on such incidents, and I'm not really skeptical about the witnesses themselves. Doubtless some are dishonest or confused or attention seekers, but most are honest witnesses. I just don't think they're accurate and not because I think aliens wouldn't visit Earth. Quite to the contrary, I'd find it nearly unbelievable that they wouldn't visit Earth, is that I tend to find the ways they'd allegedly do so do not make sense. For any given crime there's motives, means, and opportunity, and vandalizing someone's field or abducting them is a crime, whether it's done by a prankster or an alien or an alien prankster. But motive and means and opportunity apply to most actions, not just crimes. This is how we try to look at any given alien sighting or popular sci-fi alien trope, not by asking so much if it's true or likely as what might make it likely. As an example, folks will sometimes suggest aliens abduct us for DNA samples, but if that's all they wanted, at this point it would be a lot more covert and productive to rob a vending machine or mailbox to pull samples off all the coins or letters in them, so that option doesn't fit. That doesn't mean there are no motives to abduct humans, hardly I can think of dozens, but often on examination these don't work out too well either with our common assumptions of what they might want. As an example, you might abduct folks to scan their brains and need them conscious for that, since you want to study those neurons firing at various stimuli. You also might have very limited options for erasing or clouding memories of you performing this experiment on them, given that the ability to cleanly wipe a memory without flaw or occasional failure would imply a very sophisticated knowledge of our brain which presumably you would not have yet if you were abducting folks to study their brains. You rarely bother expending vast effort studying something you have already mastered. They probably would be able to disrupt or obscure short-term memory after even fairly limited study, there are some techniques that can seriously screw with short-term memory, many of which are easier if you have certain high-tech but non-human specific tools, like gamma knives, where you could just be recording which neurons fired with whatever you were doing and torch the ones in the memory areas that you saw activate during your session. Such being the case, it is entirely plausible, you would need to have abducted tons of people and some of them came away with partial recollection of the event. The thing is, if that was your specific goal, you probably started with corpses, they are in plentiful supply, and we do conveniently preserve and store them where grave robbing wouldn't be too hard. You can get a lot from cutting into those and electrically stimulating them, and get plenty more by just downloading our own internet available records of MRI and neurology in general. Pre-internet, pre-MRI, this particular abduction theory made a bit more sense. But in a more modern context, we would assume they did as I just suggested, accessing all available studies of it, doing some grave robbing, and then and only then start abducting real live folks to refine that beyond what our equipment permitted. Which is plausible enough but folks are often reported as abducted from their bedroom or vehicle, both of which would be pretty ideal places to hide passive but impressive brain scanners or even active but non-invasive ones, you could probably even steal power from the available supply in the car or bedroom to run your device and transmitter. Between watching the TV and watching the road, either is going to provide nearly every common human stimuli and you can be recording what those were too. There may be some specific stimuli you would still need to abduct and expose someone to, as being too obscure or bizarre to expect normal life to provide, but you could wait on those till you master the human brain and erasing short-term memories. 
Keep in mind at this point this wouldn't be some fleeting distorted memory of the event that was warped by drugs, they would probably have recorded every neuron firing during the abduction then precisely removed them, and they probably would have left a chip in to monitor you for signs of memories or reactions later on, that's what I'd do anyway if I was in their shoes, or whatever passes for footwear or its equivalent for aliens with no discernible feet. An obvious rebuttal might be that they generally just don't care if they leave memories, but the implicit reason there is that they are unethical or not ignorant or indifferent to the problem of it, and such being the case, the easiest way to keep an abductee from spilling the beans, if you want them not to, is to kill them. Alternatively I mentioned pranksters as an option, and that one fits pretty well in many ways because it is easy to believe a small and unorganized minority of some bigger civilization occasionally showed up on plants and played some sort of hijinks. They know they will generally be viewed as annoying or too small a crime for their own authorities to get involved, wrecking fields and scaring some folks might not be worth the trouble to intervene, so they limit themselves to that. If we are assuming small and unorganized miscreants is an option, it is probably worth noting that at least some alien abduction cases are thought to be confused memories of some more mundane if traumatic or criminal event, and that if we are assuming rogue elements of an alien civilization are in play, that they can be just as capable of doing such things. In a potential population pool of trillions upon trillions and even the most modest interstellar empire, you're going to have a lot of xenophiles or twisted criminals, unless they are much better at detection and treatment of such behaviors than we are. Of course, key thing there, they probably are better at that. There's also sustainability. A race of aliens whose brain doesn't even use the same chemistry as ours might need a long while to adapt to our brains or our biology or culture in general, but you should expect the patterns and reasons for science or abductions to change over time. They complete the mission or learn what they need or the pranks get old and stale. With over half a century of sightings, we can realistically say they aren't gathering human DNA anymore if they ever were, they would have all they needed by now. On the other hand, one could easily imagine them trying to get a full catalog of every species on Earth, in the many millions of them, especially the endangered ones which would be the hardest to find and harvest. That might easily provide thousands of ships, thousands of flights, only a handful of which ever got spotted due to some error of stealth systems. It is common to rebut sighting by pointing out that a civilization capable of building ships able to cross hundreds of trillions of kilometers of space, safely, shouldn't be having them crash on Earth. But realistically an atmosphere and gravity well would tend to be where a ship would have maintenance issues cropping up, plus we tend to assume Murphy's Law still applies to high-tech civilizations. It certainly hasn't stopped applying to us, our stuff breaks all the time and it's not hard to imagine some Save the Earth species group might be poorly funded, and working with very second-hand equipment bought at an auction that needs to stop for repairs more often than it needs to stop for fuel. If you are running thousands of missions, having only a few get spotted and only kinda sorta would be very impressive. There's also a tacit assumption about them getting spotted that they would go into panic mode if we did, and in case like this it might just be a policy to avoid getting spotted, don't stop and chat, and don't interfere, that everybody agrees to but not something they get fired or prosecuted or vaporized for breaking on accident. This is what it comes down to though, some civilization shows up here and we observe a behavior and we try to figure out why they would be doing it, or alternatively someone suggests a behavior or motive and we ask if it makes any sense. In our regular episode for the week back on Thursday we looked at stellar strip mining, and those aliens in the Independence Day film apparently went in for that too, traveling from system to system, clearing out of what they wanted then moving on to a new one as the supply ran out. This seems a weird thing since you have to carry all that mass around with you, which is the hardest part of space travel, 
and for all that time, which is the hardest part of interstellar space travel, that time element tends to imply you're actually very good at resource utilization and recycling since you're spending decades in between solar systems. Efficient mass and resource use should be your civilization's top priorities for research and development. The ship in that film, the original, is plain huge, even by the standards of this channel where we tend not to even deem something on the small side of being a megastructure if it's not bigger than a mountain. Nevertheless, it was tiny in size compared to a planet and even tinier in terms of mass. The film implies, and Independence Day Wiki confirms, that the evil alien race here, the Harvesters, harvest whole plants to refuel their ships. The same wiki entry starts off by describing them as a race of highly intelligent and incredibly technologically advanced hive mind extraterrestrial beings. They are a threat of universal proportions that cease to harvest and destroy planets to refuel their ships, to grow and to perfect their technology at the expense of driving indigenous races to extinction. I'd really like to take issue with the highly intelligent and incredibly technologically advanced part, especially given how easily their system gets hacked by humans in the original film and their unshielded ships are so easily shot down by our jet fighters. The implication there is that the aliens are so stupid they can't even properly engineer a spaceship or space habitat or invest any real effort in learning how to properly harvest or utilize resources. There's evil, ruthless, and greedy, and then there's just dumb. See our episodes tell us strip mining for how to do it right. Anyway, I enjoyed the original film, but lots of bad science and plot holes there. The aliens are shown to be amazingly strong yet weirdly and stupidly fragile, so they seem more annoying than terrifying. That's true of a lot of the big bads in science fiction, and particularly ones like the Daleks from Doctor Who, or the Borg from Star Trek who undergo what's known as villain decay, which is when an enemy that's initially frightening in a story slowly seems weaker and often comedic after multiple encounters. Part of this is from the heroes having to beat them over and over again, you can't really describe your villain as nigh invincible and had that stick after they got vinced a bunch of times, no matter how lucky or contrived the victory was. The other part though is the more sequels something has, the more depth and explanation we get of the bad guy, and the more they start seeming not to make sense. This is also often true of the nominal space fairies or ancient precursors, who we often see in a franchise as super powerful and awed and benevolent, but who don't get involved, except for when they do. The more we learn of them, the less they often seem like wise elders, and often their motives seem frankly stupid, perverse, annoying, or downright evil. The Stargate franchise, especially in later series, tend to call that out more often, having introduced Earth and its heroes to lots of kind and wise alien races who sympathized with Earth's plight of being attacked by aliens, but were light on real assistance and heavy on platitudes. Stargate is heavy on the big bad aliens, with no particularly logical reason for their behavior, and fairly irritating villainous plans too. I love that franchise, and rank it as even better than the greats like Star Trek and Star Wars, but the original Big Bad is an alien species that uses humans as hosts, they are a type of parasite, and as slaves and soldiers and worshippers too. The worship only feeds their ego, which appears to be insatiable, and they are demonstrably in possession of advanced automation and science like cloning and robotics, so why they have this relations with humans is unclear. Later villains shown are the Ori, who are essentially all-powerful but like being worshipped and apparently feed off it, and the Wraith, who feed on human life force energy. They also have advanced technology which should include cloning. Space vampires are a trope that is nearly as overused as regular old vampires. We do not have life force energy you can suck out. 
unless you mean stuff like protein or fat or adenosine triphosphate, all of which are more easily available through non-human sources. If we are talking about feeding on the human soul, which is definitely not what the wraith do but is implied to be what the ori are doing, then that is fine from a story angle. It's simply taken for granted a soul exists, which science doesn't have any commentary on for or against, so it works for sci-fi or sci-fantasy but is not a good one for extrapolation to contemplating actual real alien civilizations and their behaviors or motives. Whether or not souls exist, it would seem a bit of a jump to assume some alien race fed on them and was capable of feeding on human ones. Developing a taste for aliens from another planet would seem a peculiar path for evolution on a planet to take. However, farming humans is a popular trope in sci-fi and a great story but pretty much always a bad execution in terms of plot holes, like in The Matrix where they use humans as an actual source of electrical power. If you're going to farm humans for their souls then presumably you want to maximize humans, so you would presumably be building them a Dyson Sphere or colonizing hundreds of plants to plant them on, not blowing up the one they live on, it's bad animal husbandry. You would also presumably be wanting to maximize whatever the nutritional value or taste was that humans had, which if we're assuming humans better than animal would tend to imply options like smarter tasted better or more life experience did. Harvesting humans for their memories seems plausible, indeed it's not a bad reason to create and run a simulated universe with them in it, but this probably would not be destructive, you just sneak a chip in their heads that records and transmits their lives, it need not even necessarily be all that sinister. Which might make for a very irritating afterlife. You show up at the nominal pearly gates and some alien St. Peter walks up with a clipboard saying, This afterlife is sponsored by the Outer Baron Realistic Games and Holograms Corporation. Please sign this waiver for recording your life and uploading your mind to enter. Certainly annoying, but better than finding out they feed on pain and nightmares, and find folks who lived happy and satisfying lives prior to that made for the best meals. Again, we can derive possible motives for aliens from an apparent observed behavior or hypothesized motives for aliens for a story, but often on reflection we can figure out a much better way to achieve that goal than what was suggested in a story or apparently observed. One that comes to mind is the Borg from Star Trek, famous for their introductory message on their phone calls, We are the Borg, you will be assimilated, resistance is futile. And then they attack and blow stuff up and abduct folks and stick clunky hardware on them. They are terrifying and they are mysterious, cold, implacable, and unstoppable. They have no pity for your pleas because not only do they not care, but they think that you should regard them as doing you a favor for assimilating you. Great villains, especially when written right, which sadly was often not the case. Pragmatically you would expect such a civilization might tend to follow a path of least resistance though and convert people with better public relations. Same thing for the evil parasites in Stargate. You show up with high technology and offering folks a better life, having some converts talking about how awesome it is, even if they're brainwashed by the alien puppeteer, and how it's strictly voluntary. This is going to get you plenty of converts and you just exercise patience until once you've got your numbers up. Aliens and artificial intelligences should be shown as inhuman, makes for good stories and better realism, but should not be assumed to be stupid, they may be inhuman in thought, but they should be smart enough to know the value of understanding how humans think and having the ability to ape it or manipulate it. This then is a key takeaway for more serious contemplation of encountering aliens or some AI we might make, or some alien AI. 
They may not be human, and we can't assume they will have human motivations and behaviors, but we should anticipate they would be small enough to see the value in understanding human motivations and behaviors. In that regard, while an alien civilization might opt to simply brute force overwhelm us, and probably could, we should probably not assume that they would, that instead they would opt for the slow and patient strategies given that they probably have time to spare and that the alien is more likely to invade hoarding gifts than guns, offering friendship and smiles rather than threats of annihilation. So this will wrap us up for another Sci-Fi Sunday but we're going to be having an extended edition of the episode over on Nebula, where we're going to do a lightning round on 10 of the best known alien invaders of fiction and what was wrong, stupid, or annoying about their motives and methods, and we'll try to briefly explore those alien minds. And if you want to explore some alien worlds, our sponsor, CuriosityStream, has a great episode of Space Phenomena on Alien Planets that explores what some leading minds are contemplating for strange environments and the stranger life forms that might arise on them. If you'd like to see that extended edition of today's episode, or any of our other extended episodes, those are available on Nebula, our streaming service, where all our episodes air early and ad and sponsor free, alongside some exclusive episodes like our Coexistence with Aliens series. There's also many other excellent creators there who put out exclusive or bonus material. Now you can subscribe to Nebula all by itself, but we have partnered up with CuriosityStream, the home of thousands of great educational videos, to offer Nebula for free as a bonus if you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in our episode description. That lets you see content like Alien Planets and watch all the other amazing content on CuriosityStream, and also all the great content over on Nebula from myself and many others, and you can get all of that for less than $15 by using the link in the episode's description. So we're done for today but not for the week, and this Thursday we will be discussing whether we should go to Mars now or return to the Moon and establish a base there first. The Thursday after that we will jump into the distant future, or maybe not too distant future, to look at the end of Earth. Two weeks from now we'll have our monthly livestream Q&A, don't forget to join us then to get your questions answered. Also, if you missed our most recent episode, last Thursday's Strip Mine the Galaxy, you can still check that out and sequel, The Galactic Laboratory, will finish us out for July on the 29th. If you want to know us when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes you can donate to us on Patreon or on our website IsaacArthur.net, which I'll link to in the episode description below along with all of our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. You can also follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify to get our audio-only versions of the show. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.